Take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for you. Amen. Happy New Year, everyone. I wonder if you're someone who takes advantage of a new year by setting out your resolutions for the 12 months ahead. I've never managed to be successful at that sort of thing. My resolutions over the years have ranged from the seemingly sublime, like taking up a new pattern of prayer, to mostly the ridiculous. Like the year I made an effort to shed some pounds around my waist by skipping lunch altogether, which only ever resulted in dinner time getting earlier and earlier, and ended soon thereafter in a wintertime admission of defeat. Thank goodness then for the church, a core presence in my own life, and I hope for yours, that helps me look a little deeper. What might we resolve to do as Christians, as followers of Jesus, so newly born that the story today sees him still lying in the manger? One life that asks after our deeper purposes, that sense of vocation we might have about who we are and how we live. Vocation, from the Latin vocare, meaning to call, may also have Sanskrit roots in the word vakti, which simply means speaks or says. Our vocation, then, is what our life speaks, what our life says of us. It sounds pretty straightforward, yet as we may all experience in any year of good and new intention, the distance between what we intend to say with our lives and what is actually heard can grow pretty rapidly. Consider, if you would, the story of Chip. Some years ago, I first encountered Chip in Cambridge, Massachusetts, where he spent his days walking the streets surrounding Harvard Yard, pushing a shopping cart stuffed with notebooks, apparently all of which he had written in. If you got close enough, you could hear him mumble to himself every so often stopping to write down a thought into the notebook he was currently working on. A friend with whom I often walked to and from graduate school and my digs in Cambridge that year let me know that the man with the shopping cart went by the name Chip. As time went by, I managed to snatch a conversation here or there with Chip, but most often I was unable to follow his train of thought more than a few minutes. And then after a few weeks, one day, naively thinking that our brief snippets of conversation were slowly building friendship, rather abruptly, Chip surprised me and asked if I had any money for food. I told him I did, but rather than give him a 20, I'd prefer to sit and have breakfast with him myself. So in the very bourgeois kind of way you do in Harvard Square, we headed off to Au Bon Pain and sat down together. It was the first time we'd shared a conversation I could follow. I reminded him of my name, and when I asked him a question referring to him as Chip, he immediately corrected me and made it clear that his real name was Oran. All this time, and he had not once said a thing as I previously greeted him as Chip, morning by morning. I asked him if the name had a meaning, he went on to say a little about his family and that this was a Hebrew name, meaning ash tree. By tradition, 
a tree symbolizing immortality, drawing a connection between realms earthly and heavenly. There it was, the great distance between what this man's life said to others and the name his life had had from before his birth. Chip was the person who pushed a cart around Harvard Square, mostly unseen by thousands of people a year on their way to change the world. Oran, on the other hand, was a seer, a mystic, unable to contain even in a cart full of books all that his mind knew. How many others are there, do you imagine? Some on the streets, others working in well-appointed office buildings, some desperately poor, others with more money than they truly know what to do with, yet all carrying the burden of the distance between the life of the people see them living and the true vocation of the person they are on the inside. I imagine that Jesus got called all sorts of names through the course of his ministry, many of them, I'm assuming, not fit for print in the Holy Bible. Just imagine what his old hometown residents would have called him, indignant this son of Joseph, the carpenter, would come and preach to them. Or the rich young man, as he walked away, outraged that this peasant preacher would have the audacity to ask him to give away the very thing that gave his name in the world its value. And by the time he hung on that place of humiliation and dereliction, nailed to a cross outside the city walls, I imagine the names Jesus was the recipient of would have been hard for his mother to hear. So it is a good thing that before any of that could happen, an angel, Gabriel, would set the matter straight, that Mary's child would be called Jesus, making clear that Jesus' true vocation, the work his life would say of him, was, as it is in the Hebrew, Yehoshua, Yahweh will save. Jesus is named as the one through whom God will save. And so with every disparagement and contradiction and threat of violence that this infant would come to face in his adult life, it would be each saving act of healing and feeding and liberating that Jesus carried out that would speak his true name regardless of what the world around him would say to the contrary. For Jesus remained unwaveringly faithful to the vocation the angels of heaven itself had placed upon his life. As followers of that Jesus, as those who are in baptism named in Christ, we are also invited to remain unwaveringly faithful to the vocation we have received. So what about you? What distance have you been living with between the name the world has given you and the name God granted to you before your birth, the name of your true vocation. I ask because these two namings are more often than not in conflict. Many of us would do anything to avoid other people thinking poorly of us, preferring to make sure that the name we are known by remains in good repute. This is the name we allow others to see in public, 
It's the name of our success, of our popularity, of our achievements. And that can feel all well and good as long as life follows the script we had intended for it. But when our lives or the lives of those we love departs from that script, we realize that there is no amount of energy we can exert that will allow us to bridge the gap between what people see and what we know we are living. And so it truly is good news that you and I gather in the name of one this day who only seeks to know us by the name we are truly called. As Rowan Williams puts it, the name we are called by God is the name of our life's true vocation as a child of grace. The name we come to hear when all the games have stopped, when our pretensions of needing to be known as somebody other than who we truly are, are at last given up. And we can rest in the audible company of a God who has loved us and named us from the beginning of all things. Part of our vocation as the church, therefore, is to be a community honest enough to God and with one another that we might be able to help each other discover the sound of that true name. A possibility I invite you to hear in the story of the great Rabbi Yehuda ben Bezalel of Prague. Rabbi Yehuda was considered one of the greatest rabbis of his age in 16th century Europe. Legend has it that he created the Golem, the animated form of a man to which he gave life by putting under its tongue a slip of paper bearing the unutterable name of God. One night, Rabbi Yehuda had a dream that he had died and was brought before the throne. The angel asked him, Who are you? I am Rabbi Yehuda of Prague, the maker of the golem, he replied. Tell me, my lord, if my name is written in the book of the names of those who will share in the kingdom. Wait here, said the angel. I shall read the names of all those who have died that are written in the book. And the angel read the names, thousands of them, strange names to the ears of Rabbi Yehuda. As the angel read, the rabbi saw the spirits of those whose names had been called fly into the glory that sat above the throne. At last he finished reading, and Rabbi Yehuda's name had not been called, and he wept bitterly and cried out against the angel. The angel said, I have called your name. Rabbi Yehuda said, I did not hear it. And the angel went on. In the book are written the names of all people who have ever lived on the earth. For every soul is the inheritor of the kingdom. But many come here who have never heard their true names on the lips of man or angel. They have lived believing that they know their names. And so when they are called to their share in the kingdom... They do not hear their names as their own. They do not recognize that it is for them that the gates of the kingdom are opened. So they must wait here until they hear their names and know them. Perhaps in their lifetime, one man or woman has once called them by their right name. Here they shall stay until they have remembered. Perhaps no one has ever called them by their right name. 
Hither shall stay till they are silent enough to hear the king of the universe himself calling them. At this, Rabbi Yehuda woke, and rising from his bed with tears, he covered his head and lay prostrate on the ground and prayed, Master of the universe, grant me once before I die to hear my own true name on the lips of my brothers. On this newest of days of the year, may we also offer that gift to one another. Amen.